This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching here at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, or anyone who is looking to dive deeper into the Bible. The passage today is Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. These verses form the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on June 25, 2023. This is the final message in our series called Renew, about how we build a spirit-centered life. Before we begin, let's hear this text from Genesis chapter 22. I'll be reading from the 2020 revision of the New American Standard Bible. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told them. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he took it in his hand, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So of the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on the top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not, to, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him now. I now know that you fear God, and since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham, Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, this is a well-known story from the life of Abraham. It's one of the concluding episodes of his life. While there's other passages of scripture that speak of Abraham and his family, this is really the apex of Abraham's story. And it's a difficult story. In many ways, it's a, it's a brutal story. There are three dialogues that occur in this story. The first is in verses 1 to 6, and then there's two other dialogues that will continue. The beginning of the verse in verse 1 helps us understand the amount of time has passed. It says, now it came about after these things. 
So a good amount of time has passed from the events before Genesis chapter 22 leading us to this moment in time, and it says that God tested Abraham. Now, there are really two theological hinges to the story. One is this notion of God testing Abraham. The other one is God is providing for Abraham. So there's this testing and provision that take place in the story, and these are really the two hinges on which the story moves. There are a total of three exchanges of dialogue, as I mentioned a moment ago, where Abraham answers in each one, here I am. So if you look at the story carefully in the 14 verses that I read, Abraham responds to a call of his name three times with here I am. The first time it is God calling. The second one is Isaac. The last one is God calling again. And these callings or these dialogues form the basic structure of the passage. So scholars invite us to see these as some form of a pattern. Now, I'll cover each one of these dialogues one at a time, but just hold on to the fact that verse, verse number two is central to the first dialogue. So in that second verse of Genesis chapter 22, we read about how it says that, uh, that Abraham answers, here I am, and then it says in verse two, then he said, God said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. That's the pivotal verse. The first dialogue centers itself on God as the tester the instructions are clear. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. There's four qualifiers there, so there's no mistaking exactly what is being asked of him. The command of God cop captures all the complexity of Abraham's relationship to his son. Isaac is the one who receives the promise of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He's at least for covenantal purposes, Abraham's only descendant. As we know, Abraham had another son before Isaac named Ishmael, who is his son through his wife's concubine named Hagar. And in this case, uh, Isaac is the, the receiver of the covenant that God gave to Abraham, that through his descendants, he would make of him a great nation. So now they're called by God to go to a place called Moriah, which in some translations literally means provision in Hebrew. And Abraham com is commanded to sacrifice his son there. Now, this is the only recorded instance of such an invitation by God in all of Scripture. The language is very similar to Abraham's call story, which is back in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham to go to the land which I will show you. In this case, it's go to one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So the similarities between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 shouldn't be overlooked. The way Abraham's story starts and now as his story comes to a conclusion are designed to hold each other in tension about the difference between who Abraham was at the beginning and who he is now. When God brought this call to Abraham, it doesn't, Abraham hasn't spoken a word in this story yet except for here I am. He hasn't given any reaction to what God has asked him to do. He hasn't given a response. He hasn't argued with God. He hasn't questioned the covenant, nothing. It just simply says that Abraham got up early. He saddled the donkey. He got two young men and Isaac. He went out and split some wood for the sacrifice. And then he set out on the journey. Now it's a three day journey, the scriptures tell us. So some believe that the place to which Abraham went was 
the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's, it's what would become the Temple Mount in Jerusalem centuries and centuries later, the central place in all of Judaism. It's hard to say. At the time this story happens, Abraham is in a place called Beersheba. So it would have taken more than three days to get from Beersheba up to what is currently Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly where Abraham went or what mountain he went to, but it says that as Abraham approached, he saw the place from a distance and he knew where they were going. But only he knows why. He hasn't told anybody about what God has instructed him to do. He just simply takes everyone with him. So the young men, he gives instructions to stay at the bottom of the mountain with the donkey. These are the first words Abraham says in the story. And here's what he says. We will return and we will worship and return to you. Notice the plural. We will worship and return to you. There's almost a notion that Abraham goes up the mountain with a confidence that both he and Isaac will be returning, even though he's being told to sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering. So it says that Abraham took the wood from the donkey and he put it on Isaac's back to carry up the mountain. It's rather ironic that Isaac carries on his back the the means of his own death and that Abraham took the fire and the knife together. The fire could either be a torch he took that he lit or perhaps he just took some, some flint with him that he could use to start the fire with. And it says they walked together. These little linguistic notes, don't lose sight of them. It says that they walked together. This phrase occurs a couple of times, how they walked together. You'll see it again down in verse 8. And uh, it'll when Abraham is talking about uh, the, the sacrifice with Isaac, and it says that the two of them walked on together. Don't lose those. And really, this opens a key passageway for us. And it's a hard one. Faith untested is faith unrealized. You know, often our claim to faith is, is something that is speculation. We believe ourselves to have faith, but how would we actually know that we do? And so we enter into the problem of Genesis 22. There's lots of struggles that people have with this story, that how could God test someone to do this? It's brutal. This testing by God is a, a theological problem. And the reason it's a problem isn't because we have an argument with it. It's because we have a difficulty with it And part of that difficulty has to do with who's being tested and who's giving the test. Is God giving the test to Abraham? So Abraham's the one being tested by God. Or is the test something a little bit different? What we can know is that our faith, our faith in our own lives today is potential until it's tested. It's hard to know whether we really do embrace a life of faith until there's crisis, until there's suffering, until there's hardship, until there's difficulty. Each of these reveal faith in a different sort of way. Now, so I'm I'm not suggesting for a moment that we go out and find crisis, find suffering, and find hardship to test to see if we really have faith. It's actually the opposite is true. Faith requires the posture of need and humility. It requires the posture of uncertainty, of confession. And it's in this space that we discover if the faith we say we have is actually evident. But let's not lose lose sight of this fact. Faith is central to the story. On the surface, it appears to be a test of Abraham's faith. Could it be a test of someone else's faith? Their faith in us. 
a test designed to prove God's faith in who we are. We'll see. There's now a, a second dialogue that takes place, and it's much shorter, and it's really the central part of this story. And it has to do with when Isaac says to Abraham in verse 7, Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he, Abraham, said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? And then Abraham says the pivotal verse here in verse, pivotal statement in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The second dialogue, of course, is much shorter, but it's pivotal in the story. So on the way up the mountain, Isaac asks Abraham where the sacrifice is. Now note the formulation of the dialogue. It's exactly like the first dialogue when God came to Abraham to test him and says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. This time Isaac says, my father, and Abraham answers the exact same way. Here I am, just like the first time. Now, Isaac notes that all the required ingredients for burnt offering are here, except for one of them. And Abraham's answer is the key to this passage of scripture. He says that God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. It's interesting. God will provide for himself. The middle voice is being used here, that God is going to do something for God's own self the lamb of the burnt offering. So in a sense, there's a way in which Abraham describes this as not, that God's not doing anything for Abraham or doing something for Isaac, but that God is going to provide for himself and that that act of God providing for God's self is important for us to hold on to. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, in a burnt offering that was typically offered, um, an animal would have its throat slit and then it would be dismembered and placed on a fire. I know it's graphic, but just bear with me. The animal in that case, in this ancient world, takes the place of the human. In other words, the human is done wrong and quote unquote deserves to die. And so the notion of the burnt offering is that this animal is going to now take the place of that human being as a token of self-sacrifice. So rather than the human offering themselves, they offer the animal instead. Let's be clear, it's not a substitution. The animal is not dying for the human but rather the animal is a token or a symbol of that self-sacrifice the human is making, the awareness of their own need for redemption. Now, as Abraham goes up this mountain to prepare to offer his son as a human sacrifice, is what God has apparently told him to do, consider what Abraham is holding, what he's holding on to in his heart. He's holding on to the promise that God will build a nation out of his descendants. He's holding on to the fact that now he's called to kill his own son. He's holding some faith that God will somehow make this covenant happen, even if Isaac is dead. And he has not yet even told his son about what's to happen. This is the crisis of the story. There's a key passageway here for us in the second dialogue, and that we must trust in God's provision and how that matters most when hope seems lost and many would argue that this passage is cruel and primitive, and to be honest, by our standards, it certainly is. If any of us were asked to do this very same thing, I, I doubt that any of us would be excited about the possibility. But in Abraham's world, perhaps not as much. This is an ancient story, very, very old, thousands of years. 
trust and faith, as we mentioned a moment ago, are largely untested until a crisis comes. And we see this play out in Scripture again and again. It's true for Job, it's true for Abraham, it's true for many others. It's especially true for Jesus. Can you imagine the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, in the garden of the cross? That this notion of God providing, wow, what a powerful word that would have to be for Jesus to trust in as he agonizes in the garden before his arrest and crucifixion. Abraham only knows that God will fulfill the covenant made to him. How? He doesn't know. By God presenting him, in some sense, with a contradiction, that death is life, and that being lost is actually being found. These themes are not lost on the Christian. Jesus himself said that if we wish to live, we must die. Jesus spoke of his own death and resurrection as inseparable events. Two events that must always be understood together. That the paradox, the contradiction, it's not to be resolved. It's to be held. And finally, we turn to the closing of this passage of scripture, the climactic end of this episode upon Mount Moriah. The story builds in its graphic nature and it, it To be honest, it becomes really difficult for us to watch or even imagine. So once they arrive on the mountain itself, Abraham builds an altar, which is typically made out of stones, and then he set wood upon it. And he then binds his son, it says in the text. And this is unusual because in burnt offerings and in animal sacrifices, the animal is usually never bound. Oftentimes what happens is the animal has, uh, as we would know, its throat slit and then it expires or dies, and then it's dismembered, and then it's thrown up on top of the burning uh, altar with the wood. And so if it were to follow the exact ritual, Abraham would slit the throat, dismember his own son, and put him on the fire. That's what makes it so brutal and difficult for us to process. But in this case, he binds his son. How in the world does that happen? Maybe he's trying to buy time. Maybe he's stalling. It's hard to say. Scholars believe Isaac at this point in the story to be a late teenager. So how exactly does an old man overcome him? You know, Abraham was already old when he gave, when he and Sarah gave birth to him. How is it that he overcomes them now that Abraham goes to bind him up? Don't you think Isaac would fight it off? He doesn't. Uh, There's, it's speculative, of course, because the text doesn't say it explicitly, but if we're to make any sense out of this, Isaac cooperates with what Abraham is doing. Isaac perhaps knows exactly what's going to happen, and he has a faith exactly like his father. Once Isaac is bound and put up on top of the the wood and the altar, Abraham takes the knife and prepares, well, to slit his throat, Isaac's throat. Then an angel of the Lord appears. Now notice something different. Uh, You may not be aware that when you read a Bible in English, the printed word for Lord, if it appears in all capital letters or like what is called small caps or small capitals, that's the translation referencing the covenant name for God. This is Yahweh. This is the name for God, not God is a, a, in the generic, but rather the, the very name of God, a name that is unutterable within the Jewish community even to this day. The angel of the Lord appears. This is the first time we read God's covenant name in the story. So we go from a God 
to a covenant God all of a sudden in this shifting that happens in the third dialogue. And this time, Abraham's name is shouted twice, Abraham, Abraham. And he responds the same way he has the other two times, I am here. And then he's told by this angel of the Lord, do not reach out against the boy, don't do anything to him. And then something key comes, quote, for now I know, the text tells us. Now I know. It says in uh, verse number 12, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The way the text is written in Genesis 22, it implies that God didn't know if Abraham was going to have faith or not. God has gone from tester now to provider. It says that Abraham raised his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. It's the exact same language as verse 4 when it says he raised his eyes and he saw the mountain. There was a ram fully grown like Isaac in the thicket. Abraham went and offered it, it says, in place of his son. And then he named the place, the Lord will provide. The Yahweh will provide. Yahweh Hira, it says in Hebrew, and they walked on together. There it is again. They walked on together. The key passageway for us here probably is evident, but it's this, that God responds faithfully in every circumstance. In some ways, that issue here isn't Isaac's death. Uh, if, we're to, if we're to look at this in the totality of Isaac's life, his death will eventually happen. It's recorded in the book of Genesis. It's not a question of whether Isaac dies. It's a question of when he dies and how he dies. God's faithfulness appears to Abraham in a powerful way through the ram caught in the thicket. So let's look at this story maybe in another way. Does Abraham believe that God will provide even when, wait for it, <laughs> even when God contradicts himself? God tells Abraham that your son Isaac is going to be the inheritor of the covenant given to you and that through him there'll be a multitude that'll be made into a nation. That's the contradiction. God says that great promise will happen through Isaac, and then God says, go kill him. This idea of contradiction is important. We have to hold on to it. Jesus said, in order to gain your life, you must lose it. Contradiction. Jesus spoke of his death and resurrection as inseparable ideas. Contradiction. So what is Abraham asked to have faith in here? Is he asked to be faithful to do what God tells them to do? Or is he being faithful to a God who he knows that will provide? Or is there a different kind of test happening? Is this story about Abraham's faithfulness? Or is this story really about God's faithfulness? Who's being tested here? I wonder. I hope you'll join us for the message in church on June 25 where we talk about that very question. If you have comments or reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. Click on News in the upper right-hand corner. In the drop-down menu, select Podcast and click on this particular episode. And please feel free to leave a comment. Also visit ffmc.org, firstfreemethodistchurch.org, our church's website, if you want to learn more about free Methodism and try to connect and be a part of our community. We'd love to hear from you. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.